If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be stolen wholesale from great fiction, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to what are questions you can ask to help find the gems in your fiction? And how can we inject our campaigns with freshly squozen juice? And what is going to be the thing that you block out an evening for every month next year? Let's find out. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So today... We are talking about trying to solve three very specific challenges. It's a lot for my simple brain. And we're going to try and do that with one or two sort of almighty solutions. (laughs) Keep it simple. Yeah. (laughs) I've already gone off the rails, damn it. All right. Well, let's start with those problems. And these problems all revolve around consuming fiction, our favorite books and movies. And when you get that feeling... Deep inside your bones. I need sexual. Nope. <laughs> nope. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> the feeling that you want to capture that in your game. Like, that was good. That was cool. That made me feel something. Yeah. And I want to do that for my players or for the other people at the table. And when you're feeling like you want to work in elements from those sources, you want to pay homage or straight up steal ideas, encounters, NPCs, storylines without. Players immediately picking up on the fact that you stole it. Wholesale. (laughs) Unashamed. Yeah. Like, oh, that's Cersei Lannister. Yeah, and how do we capture that feeling of, like, I come out of Infinity War and go, God damn it, that was a great film. How do I inject that into my D&D game? And then you go, oh, I'm going to have, like, a gauntlet that grants wishes and I'm going to throw Changes in a big purple everything. dude. Call yeah. Wanda Wonder. <laughs> Jesus, it's already done for you. Tim. Oh, hi. <laughs> Tim is here, by the way. I kept um, quiet that whole time, aren't you proud of me? Come on. <laughs> he, he did a very good job staying quiet for a moment. <laughs> so Ultimately failed. It's a rarity. <laughs> but the point being is that if you throw those in there, what you were really after in that Infinity War was the feeling of this villain amassing power with a crazy ticking clock towards world-ending complications and this feeling of overwhelming odds. How do we grab that Yeah, and avoid giving our players the Wand of Wonder or the Infinity Gauntlet? Yeah, jammed into a tree stump along their trail. <laughs> or give it to them and just let them kill themselves. That's always fun to do. Like, <laughs> snap just, themselves just out of like, existence. Yeah, snap themselves out of existence. Yeah. What power here you it is. You did it to yourselves. End scene. <laughs> And the third problem. Well, the third problem is the fact that a lot of the media we consume is from kind of a similar perspective. Like, you know, if we're talking about fantasy books, for example, for a long time, they were all kind of written with the same perspective as the Lord of the Rings. Like (laughs) it all kind of was just a step to the side of that. Well, the vast majority of sci-fi and fantasy sources and what we kind of like perceive as sci-fi fantasy today is really kind of 
from a homogenous viewpoint. Yeah. It's called the white male gaze. <laughs> there you go, Tim. Thank there you, you go. That's <laughs> succinct. Much more succinct. So how do we, yeah, the, the problem is, how do we expand that viewpoint and get really creative, unique, interesting perspectives and ideas from other places that you're excited to use in your games and that your players will be like, wow, I didn't think about it like that before. And they'll never see the source coming from all of the various places that you might've gotten them from. So just before we get into this, I've got a confession. I don't tend to read a lot. I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've made this confession before. This is not a new. Hold on. Hold on. I don't read a lot. Tell me the last game book you read. <laughs> okay, I read a lot. I there don't read a lot of novels. I love that. that. I don't read. Meanwhile, they'll pull out Hero Book, which is like <laughs> 600 pages of crunch. <laughs> no, I need to memorize all of this. Did you read this last novel? <laughs> no, I don't read. And uh, to be fair, Travis uh, makes me read those. Yeah. <laughs> I summarize. I go yeah, in you read and translate. Screaming. You know what? I remember this last time we did a game together that wasn't d d It's like, no, no, let me teach it to you. Fine. I'll just tell you how to do this. I sent you a PDF, but you didn't read it, so that's okay. <laughs> Listen, I get my fiction from visual sources, video games, movies, graphic novels. Yeah. Needs to be pictures. Yeah. I, I respond to the pretty colors. <laughs> That's fair. So, obviously, we've got the GM Tim here. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, the GM Tim is a pain in my ass. Yes, I am. <laughs> because when him and Jordan start going off on these novels that they've read together... They start on a bit of a tear, and it's hard to get them to stop. And they start nerding out over these various works of fiction that they've both read. Like Stealing Thunder, it's a really good book. <laughs> and they they start talking about these things, as spoiling what will be a movie one day for me. Yeah, um, but is it really spoiling when you won't remember? <laughs> there was no pictures I, I actually, involved. I actually think Stealing Thunder has got movie rights. I haven't looked into it because wow. I didn't want to like, look and do that search where you ruin something. And every and, time like, they go off yeah, on these tears, yeah. I will literally tear a page out of one of said good books. You wouldn't dare. I absolutely will. And I dare you to Oh my to God, test you me. actually have a book out. What the hell, man? <laughs> so if you guys go on a tangent... That's what happens. Well, I'll snip the power cord to your TV. <gasps> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> now, Tim, you've <laughs> you've created appendix. Change lit. the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> <laughs> I dare Jordan to try. <laughs> no, it's okay. Sorry. Yeah. So appendix lit. Let's like keep on focus. Yes. Right? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, appendix lit <sighs> is a book club that you've been running for two years now. Yeah. And it's really exciting. You've got a huge list of fiction books. You kind of make them at the start of the year. What's the basic criteria? Like, I know you've actually got like an algorithm. algorithm. (laughs) Basically, I wanted to find a wide diversity of authors and characters. So I wanted to see not white men literature. You don't want to follow Legolas for like 10 different books. Again, I mean, that's with a different haircut. It's not Legolas so much. It's like, <laughs> do you know what? That's like, that's valid, but it's it's not quite that. So like, I would argue that, well, there's a lot of like similarities between the way that we read, the way we read books like Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia and even like Dune. They're all different. They all have kind of a different vibe. They all have a different style. 
The one thing they all have the same is that gaze that I mentioned earlier when I was being a smart ass. I was kind of like honest about it too, right? All the men react the same to women. All the women react the same to men. And often it's to propel their plot has nothing to do with them, right? So there's no diversity in like how people interact with each other or it's always white heroes or European styled heroes or like European styled culture. And it's like getting a little bit old. Yay. Right? Well, while like, those books all have incredible creative elements to them that yeah. obviously impacted a lot of people, they're great. But yeah, they do have that <laughs> that similarity baked in. Well, and they formed the foundation of, like I said, a lot of what we know as sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah. Well, but there's some amazing things yeah. happening in some of these other stories. Yeah. And I would say, especially in the last like two or three years, um, partly just because of cultural shifts, which, you know, I hope propel forward more. Mm -hmm. But there's been a large drive and kind of like, it's not like there's suddenly more authors that aren't white male men. <laughs> there are, but that's not like the key. The key seems to be that there are more people paying attention to authors that aren't white male men. And, and I have to admit, I'm one of them. I never thought to look for stuff outside of that until 2020 when, you know, culture forced me to realize that I was being a fucking idiot so so it's time to change yeah. right so i decided that year that i wasn't going to be willfully ignorant anymore and i can't change things myself but i can make little steps and this is a little step that i can do so that i'm more aware of how i run my games and how i consume my cultures and the tack on benefit of doing this is that it has increased analysis that you guys do on every single book you read which new means, insights there's yeah. new insights to the way to future and there's new viewpoints there's a better understanding of how to pay attention to things at your table too right so we're going to talk more about appendix lit a little bit later on but the first thing we're going to do is provide the questions that tim created that we go over after we read a book so that you can maybe apply this to your own movie watching and book consuming and and so you can start to think about what you can pull uh, apart from them for your games. That conscientious approach. And we'll do that in the Temple of Inspired Hands. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. temple when was the last time you were in the temple <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while this has not I'm like excited. it's always the strategy state room yeah. yeah i know and i'm sure there are like if you've listened to this podcast extensively you've heard those fucking war drums from the strategy state room and the the bow wash and the the the, the storm outside <laughs> open and close so many goddamn times <laughs> don't go to the strategy state room anymore <laughs> Okay, so what we're going to do in the Temple of Inspired Hands is we're going to talk about some of the questions. Now, this is not an extensive list because you guys have, like, what you guys go through, you know, Tim, you put together just an incredible list of questions, um, but we're going we're gonna to take the summarized version yep. that you guys go through in your Hangouts post-reading books, and these are all of the questions that have been designed to make you think, what was good? What was bad? How do I integrate this into my game? And what is the core? Not, I'm going to slap an infinity gauntlet in my game, but what was the <laughs> core of that feeling that I wanted to capture? Take us through these these questions, Tim. Yeah, Maybe so, we can run through all of them first and, and you can give us a little rundown of these questions and why you use them. Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the questions. Okay. Uh, since we do them, 
Okay, and you haven't you haven't partaken yet. Right. Yet notice. Uh, so, <laughs> Damn it. so so you're gonna read out the question, and we're gonna kind of tell you how it is that we converse about them. Right. Um, and that that helps us lean into the kind of the story element that we want to pull into our games. It helps us break the source material down so that we can better translate it into the game material that we want, right? Or even simply just discuss it. Like sometimes we have read a couple books, like like the, uh, there's been some books that we've just kind of read and it's just been like, oh my God, like uh, um, uh, all-consuming world. I was like, oh no, why would you do this? Like, uh, just, like, I, such a, there, there's what? the first page. What? You son of a... <laughs> okay, so we're going to stay on topic. I'm going to, first question that you guys go through. What did you like best about this book? I like this question because, uh, well, I put it first because it sets the mood for the rest. And it's not that you have to be happy through the conversation, but it reminds us that this is meant to be like a, a, a fun thing. This is not meant to be a, like, it's not an Oprah book club. We're not meant to like uh, uh, dig deep and feel the feels and everybody gets a book because sometimes we do actually get there. But the point of it is we're doing this because we enjoy it. So right. <laughs> what is it that you like about this? Yeah, super positivity. I think it helps me to just identify the, the star elements that stuck with me that I want to start to break down for the book. Okay, I see. Yeah, so just like focuses your attention Yeah. on what the core was that you just loved about it. You finish a piece of media and then you just come straight out with it and you're like, that was so good. Yeah. And the, if you don't do this step, you're just kind of like grasping at random elements of going like, yeah, I think that was what made it good. Like describing a movie to somebody. Oh, I love this part. And then there was this part. And then there was this part. And then you're trying to like talk about it without ruining anything. And it's like, oh my God, just how about I just watch the movie? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like with A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. That, I just wanted to talk about the characters. That was my favorite thing. Dr. Chef. Yeah. Dr. Chef is the best. Big happy alien that's both a, a chef, don't a gardener. Do, don't, and don't do that. Oh, you son of a... I'm All keeping right. this on rails because this will be a seven hour episode if I let you two continue. I heard at least one of your patrons going, and? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So second question. What did you like least about this book? It's important to be genuine about what you don't like. There's nothing wrong with having something you don't like in something you watch, something you read. I don't like horror and it's okay to read a book that has horror in it, I struggle with this element because I don't like horror. That's that's okay. Right. Yeah. Got it. It just helps me practice breaking a, a book apart into the chunks and putting it into those piles of like, I like this, but I don't like that. But that doesn't mean this is a good book or a bad book. It's got these elements that I can appreciate on their own. Right. Yeah. So just, again, more of that refinement piece too. So the third question, what feelings did this book evoke for you? The feeling it evokes in you is the reason you like or dislike a book in the first place. And sometimes I get a little too technical in my breakdown of a book right away. And this helps me kind of <laughs> take that step back. I just enjoy the fact that we're trying to acknowledge that, you know, you do feel like, you know, in a good game, you got like your table crying or your table all laughing together or your table all stressed together. And, and that's all because of feelings, right? So sometimes it's good to remind you that like this book or these books might do the same things to you and you get to kind of share that as you're talking about it well and what makes me wonder 
in this kind of analysis and this level of breakdown is that, you know, often sometimes we'll get a table, all like you said, all laughing together, all crying together. And sometimes that's just how things played out. And then other times it's because we put specific focused effort into making that happen, into mm -hmm. facilitating that. And some books and some, you know, various sources of media, they spend a lot of effort to try to get you there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And it, did they is a kind of part of this question. Right. Yeah. right. And that's to, super powerful. Then that becomes its own breakdown of like, okay, so this book made me feel sad. Let's break down what elements made me feel that way. Then we can get technical once we've established the, the feeling. Right. And then you say, okay, I want to recreate this feeling in my game. Very the other cool. reason I put this question in is because it's good to remember that it is a book club, right? But while it has the purpose of being for GMs and players to create inspiration, you can't get there if you're like, I didn't feel anything. I felt shit. Like it was like, <laughs> this book was yeah. like reading mad comics, right? Like I'm, and eh, eh, you know, like, although I do like mad comics, I'm just saying, like, yeah, it's it's yeah it's it's more like it's more like just that that importance that you know when you do a book club you are having a conversation about it right that's the point of a book club is to kind of converse and share yeah so this is a good reminder that you know that's also part of what this is and in our discussions leading up to this episode too you had mentioned like your experience and enjoyment of a book is heightened by that conversation that that feeling and sharing yeah i actually really enjoy our conversations because it ends up kind of becoming a a real part of the the novel like it's almost like um jurassic park i watched jurassic park first and then i read the book and then i talked about it and every time now when i like i don't read it or watch it anymore because it's like i don't want to i want that to stay there right <laughs> but, but with the with the discussion it becomes more of like we actually get to converse about it and it kind of brings back a lot of the points that's why we get so excited when we bring up a scene because we actually talk about these and there's a there's a deeper connection to it right yeah right and it helps you get someone else's perspective because that's what going back to using it in our games like you don't know how something's going to play out to everyone at the mm. table. So hearing someone else's experience of what gave you a feeling, hearing them describe that it gave them a very different feeling is important when we're going to be running games for a group of people. Especially if you don't know the people like in Adventures League. Right. Well, and I would imagine that this kind of experience too for any GM, you know, players I'm sure will find a ton of value from this as well. But specifically GMing, can be such a lonely endeavor sometimes mm -hmm. if you don't have people to bounce ideas off of that was that was the core kind of concept for this in the yeah. first place was like there's a lot of there's a lot of book clubs that are about becoming a better person or about reading different books or about but i couldn't find anything that was about how to be a better dm or mm -hmm. gm right how to kind of like inspire yourself um, and I, I'm sure they exist. Uh, I just couldn't find them. And and in 2020, when everyone was like looking for stuff to do, that's when I came and came up with this. So. Yeah. Uh, let's do the next one. We're gonna. Yeah. So the number four, if you were running this story as an adventure, where would it be difficult to allow the players to progress the plot without being pulled along? Yeah. That's quite a question. That's. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure this probably <laughs> generates a shit ton of discussion. Depending on the book. Yeah. Because oh. sometimes you realize that like 
there really might not be much to pull from this book as far as plot goes. It just doesn't work for a game. But this question really helps me start to think about putting it into your game, the the specifics of like scene by scene. Got Is it. this going to work? Or if we're reading a book that's about a solo character and you've got a team of players and everything in that book happens to the solo character because of personal interactions with the world and your team of players is like, did you make a backstory? No, you no longer have a story. You no longer have that. Like you, there's no way to actually like present that plot. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's important to kind of like remember that sometimes you can't do it. You might be able to, but then where are your pressure points that you're going to have to renegotiate the plot to give them more of what they need in order to, fuel that plot forward rather than you saying i'm just going to pull you along right mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with putting your players on tracks you want them to be able to choose the stations they want to get to mm -hmm. but you need to make sure that you know what those stations are you need to make sure that if there's a blockage in the tracks how do you clear that blockage and divert them to the station they need to get to where they want to go to and i'd say that this question also brings up a good point about how valuable this can be for players rather than gms because Sometimes we like a book, but we realize that it's told pretty much exclusively as internal dialogue from one character's perspective. Mm -hmm. So like, you can't use a ton of that as a GM. You can as a player. You can If you read a bunch of books like that, then all of a sudden you've got so much to pull on for how your character feels about the Hench. situations they're in. Hench was in an eye the whole time, wasn't it? It was a first person. Yes, I believe so. So if, if you're constantly going in a first person how does that translate into a game, right? Yeah. Especially when you're fighting superheroes. Yeah, let's, uh, okay, let's move on. Yep. Question number five is, what role-playing game system would you use? Is there one that best suits the style of book? And before you give a real answer to this question, Tim, <laughs> <laughs> I got some bullshit to spew. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, this question forced me through the awkwardness of not having any answers to start <laughs> playing more systems so I could ans actually answer it. Because in the first couple chats, oh, D&D, I guess. Right. <laughs> and that there are specific systems that will evoke a different feeling. That's right. You know, there's nothing wrong with D&D. I love it. Yeah. 5e is a great system. Solid. You can actually transform 5e into almost anything you need. I still say that there are some systems that are better than 5e for doing certain things my brain has a hard time picturing using 5e to do star trek for example when i could just use the star trek adventures system right which is built to be that cinematic drive you forward vibe right it really emphasizes little roles or the star wars edge of the empire system that really sort of heightens that creates that dice pool where you've got to kind of like negotiate your skills and then narrate what you're doing right and so i think that well there's a benefit in all the systems for what they do i think that some of the books that we read fit into some of the other systems far better than they would into uh, just straight up D D all the time i mean the last two questions are already starting this almost litmus test you know, it's yeah. just like, should I do this? Is this a good idea? Is this, a, do I need to take a different approach? Yeah, well, yeah. that feeds into the rating system that we use, but we can talk about that at the end if you want. Well, sure. yeah, it's it's basically like thinking about, is this just a book I enjoyed or is this going to be a source of inspiration for my games? Very cool. Yeah. yeah. It's not a, it's not a, we didn't want to do like a star system where it was like, where you rate your book from one to five. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, 
I'm a white male who just said that I don't want to judge things from a white male point of view. And now you're asking me to rate the books. I'm like, I'm not going to do that, right? <laughs> I can say what I found useful and not useful as a game master or a player, though. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, right? right. So that's that's how we kind of created this system. This very cool. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely touch on the system a little bit more because it, it's very unique and novel. Thanks. Number six, the question is, which of the characters do you think you could make into non-player characters and how would you use these NPCs in the game? I love this question. Um, <laughs> what? Because I'm, you know, my mind is spinning with possibilities. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that that's one of the reasons that you guys use this question. But Tim, what, what was the, the kind of genesis for this? How does it how does it function for you? Uh, well, for this question, it was because that was I wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing exactly what we were talking about at the intro, where it was like, how do I take this movie and make it into a story? Like, no. Yeah. How do I make sure that I'm finding things from this book? Right. So it can be a cast member. It could be a location. It could be an encounter. It could be could be a plot. But if it's a cast member or like a, a character in the book. How do I kind of like narrow that down into like PC usage or NPC usage? And I think it's important to note the NPC because even if you're a player coming into this storytelling sort of vibe, you still have NPCs as part of your backstory. Or even if you never name them or only name them to kill them like that some of my groups do, <laughs> then, then that's still, for a short time, an NPC, right? Right. So if you're going to create this NPC and if you want your players to have any kind of connection to these NPCs, Having these little quirks and these things that characters do will attach your players to the NPCs, whether it's their own or your own, better, easier, smoother. Well, and it feels like such a faster route. You know, instead of, I just made this character, and I know, I know that my DM would appreciate me fleshing out the NPC, the, the uncle that raised me in my character's backstory, so that they could use them, but time i'm not inspired like all of these other reasons i can shorthand this using an npc that i loved from a book yeah and you don't have to overthink it it's yeah. done for you yeah somebody else overthought it somebody yeah. else gratefully like, yeah. yeah yeah but yeah. I, like think about a good book i mean um a long way to a small angry planet has so many just amazing characters yeah uh, the ai um what's the ai's name oh my god oh Oh my God! What was the AI's name? It's like Violet or Janice. Anyways, that that NPC is just incredible. It's like this. No, <laughs> they no. have to hear about. I was answering your question. We we're gonna talk about the books. We're gonna get to that. All right, moving along. Your seventh question: Which places in this book would you most like to visit? What are your thoughts? Uh that's just a fun question. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? Touche. It's hard to vote you for that one. It is It is actually a fun question. We actually had a lot of fun with this question, I think, for a few things. And and I enjoy, I think, we always have come up with a different answer, too, which is neat. Right. Because we there's a couple that we're like, oh, that was just hands down. That's the place that we want to go. But almost every book that we've talked about, we always end up with a different place and i think that's because you see it from a different point of view when you're thinking about it that way yeah yeah, yeah. i like this question because it helps me kind of like come up with a quick location if i need to add it in so if they stop at a station i wasn't ready for 
on my train analogy, I can just rip this location from my book and plop it in. Right. Right. And that's kind of like, that's why I put this in here. It's, a right, it's the same. All the questions kind of feed into the things that I want to try and pull from a book if I can. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just, that looks cool. I will never be able to use this. It's just <laughs> too big, too vast, the Senate building in Winter's Orbit. Like, it's just too... Right. That whole complex of a palace is just I'm going too for much. a page. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'm just saying, it's like, yeah. there are some things that are just too vast versus, like, nice and tight and drawable. But what I do love about this question, though, is that I would assume the, like, follow-up conversation leads to why, which is... You know, it leads to those kind of questions is, okay, if I'm going to do a dungeon, is it eight foot tall ceilings or am I going to capture the grandeur of this forest and the kind of ominous feels that it had in it? How do I translate that to my current? And it, you know, I, I would assume it just forces you to try to consider those, those kinds of things and how to extrapolate them onto your locations. Yes. We don't always do that in the club, though. So we okay. give ourselves an hour. Uh, and we have that's... to go through our 15 questions. You know how well we like to do this, right? So we have 15-ish questions that we go through. So we usually have to like make it nice and tight. Yeah. And then after that, we will often spend another half hour <laughs> <laughs> I see. chatting about the minutia that we like to pull out, right? But it's a good way to kind of like keep it nice and tight. And we did that for two reasons. One, because you never know what life is going to bring you. So we want to make sure we had time to meet. Mm-hmm. And two, if you have to think about things in a nice quick session, you're able to kind of like pull stuff out a little bit cleaner. It's easier to kind of note. It's easier to kind of take. It's easier to remember. And then it's easier to listen to again if we like want to go back, right? Right on. Another thing I like about this question is to think about the inverse of it. Because, mm. you know, like to run some spooky stuff sometimes. What place do I really not want to visit and why? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And what are those qualities? Cool. The final question that we have here right now that we're going to talk through, uh, what scenes or chapters could you turn into encounters in your adventures? This one's pretty, I mean, it feels pretty clear to me, but yeah. I'd be kind of curious, like, what what do you get out of it? Well, it's just the ability to start, like, the practice of really breaking the book down into those scenes, those moments that give you those feelings. If you're going to do that, like let's say going back to your infinity war. Oh, I like the scene where they all come together and clash at the end. Well, yeah, but you can't just drop that scene in. You got to then think about how do I get them mm-hmm. to this scene to evoke the feeling that I want to evoke. Right. Cause if you just said these characters are standing in a row. Yeah. And like, Oh, cool. okay, cool. One of them's but got like, a shield. Um, all right. That's why those movies were impactful for so many Marvel nerds is just that we spent 17 movies working up to that one moment. Well, I would like, say I would say too, another kind of like especially with movies. So, we have to be careful yeah. that movies while great for like you can use these questions on movies. Um movies are a different medium than books. The scene in a movie, let's use uh, Endgame. That's a great that's a great example. So, in Endgame, we've got that scene where the whole swath of like Marvel first series yeah. history shows up to fight Thanos. Mm-hmm. In a movie, that's presented as one encounter. Really, that's a session of multiple nice, tight, short encounters between multiple different characters. 
And in a book, that's what you would see. You wouldn't right. see the big, huge screenshot. It would describe it, maybe, but then it would focus in a few pages for this encounter, a few pages for this encounter, a few pages for this encounter. And that's an important distinction to make. Often, when we watch a sort of film or TV show, or even a comic book, we'll, we'll look at that and we'll go like, there's that big picture. How do I put that into my game? When really, not even they did that. They filmed each scene short, nice, tight, and then right. put it together to make it a big thing. And that's what we have to do as GMs too a lot of the time, is you got to take these nice, quick, short things, and you put them together. And then suddenly at the end, they're like, holy shit, we just stormed the castle, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And you're like, I just want you to get in the damn castle. And meanwhile, <laughs> they see this huge, big thing that you did, right? Like, yeah. Right. That's why I sort of worded it the way I did, with scenes or chapters. Because some chapters in a book are filled with dialogue with a nice kind of short scene, right? But it takes pages to process that because we can't see visuals in a book. You have to write it out. You have right. to describe the scene. You have to, I mean, you don't have to go to Tolkien lengths of describing a feast over 10 friggin' pages. But, <laughs> but you still have to have like those few pages setting things up, right? And that, that's kind of why this is here. Because then you can, like, what is it about this that you can put into an encounter? Mm -hmm. So if you want to use a movie still, how do you take the rolling stone in Indiana Jones and put that into an encounter? Uh, one of my favorite books is called The Seven Deadly Wonders. And it's by Matthew Riley. He's an Australian author. He writes action. And it's very, it's very Clive Cussler meets Dan Brown meets Indiana Jones vibes. And it's all about an Australian hero and his Canadian sidekick. And a team of non-American adventure seekers is the best way I can put it. It's probably my favorite series. He's got two more books. And I've been desperately waiting for the rest. And he wasn't going to do it. And just because of popularity. Anyways. Um, so they're really good. <laughs> you I'm so are sorry. so lucky I did not recommend I know, I know. I saw you go for it. My point is, is that, that those books are rife with traps and complex processes and some of them are just so good however they rely on specific characters knowing specific things so when you're taking this question you have to think about that so what's that thing that you need to plant early so that when it comes time to enact this encounter they know what they need to know and that's part of right. what this is right so if a character is like i know from my flashback past that i can put in a paragraph that this happened. You can't do that in a game. So you have to make sure that you create that paragraph flashback as it actually happens in the past in your game. So it does require some planning. And that's why this question is important because you have to kind of like map that out if you're going to try and use some of it. Yeah. Some is really easy. It's a cool pit trap and I just want to screw with the players. Great. Put that in, right? Like, but some does require you to think ahead and maybe not a one shot material, right? It's so brilliant. It's a great set of questions and there's I more can, yeah, there's well more. <laughs> right wait, but wait there's more <laughs> because you have 15 questions we've only yeah, been through 15 eight. Yeah. yeah yeah so there's so much more to this for guys like myself that don't have a lot of literary references <laughs> yeah. i will do my darndest they'll still they'll still work though yeah. even if you're not doing books they still work well for movies it's right. just you got to think of it a little bit differently there's so another layer yeah. Yeah. yeah but that being said 
These questions are just killer for helping you work through that. Thanks, because man. there are so, God, there's so many pitfalls to doing this. And you can, you know, you grab different stuff and you hear lots of different contradicting opinions about <laughs> whether or not you should be grabbing stuff from fiction and putting it into your game. They ain't and... Reddit questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, totally. So what we'll do is we'll put a link to these questions on our show notes. So check them out there. They'll link you to Appendix Lit. Yeah, where the gmtim.ca slash Appendix Lit. Yeah, yeah. So you can go and find them, the gmtim.ca. And let's talk a little bit more about Appendix Lit. Yeah. And the results of a very fun-filled weekend with the GM Tim uh, <laughs> in Morden's Forge. Woohoo! Go to the forge! This is Morden's Forge, where raw materials are reshaped, honed into tools and weapons for the most incredible of quests. Guys, we're at the forge. We never go to the yeah. forge. Yeah, <laughs> we've never shown you the forge before. I want to bang on the hammer. This is a secret space. <laughs> I, want, I want to hammer shit. I, I appreciate so much that you'll just jump into the fiction. This is why we love Tim, because he just goes along with whatever bullshit we, we propose. Usually guests aren't even aware of our weird <laughs> sub-layer of fiction. I know at least, at least two others on your Discord are like, oh, we've never heard of the Forge, and I appreciate you. I'm with you. <laughs> so appendix lit we're we're going to talk about appendix lit and what kind of came of us talking about these questions and how would you like what's the next step after you've asked yourselves these questions how do you incorporate them into your game you guys have been doing this for two years yeah, how many books started... have you covered in the, the two years 12 dozen Twelve dozen. I don't think that math works at all. I mean, that's how many it feels like I've had to go through to pick the twelve that we read, but Fair it's enough. usually once a month. So appendix lit. I came up with it because we wanted. I wanted diversity in my books. We had talked about that earlier, right? Yeah. Like I wanted more diversity. The name came about because I was like, the at the back of the original D and D books, it's they had the appendix of all the different right. books you're supposed to read to encourage you for inspiration on books. And that's what it was. So in 2020, when the lockdowns happened, I was like, okay, let's go through the ad appendix. And I opened it up. There's one female author. <laughs> Among a list of how many? I think there's 50 books in there. And Holy one, shit. and one, I think one that wasn't white. And I'm like, this is stupid. And of course, <laughs> Tolkien is on there. I haven't, uh, full admittance, I've actually never read Tolkien. Oh, I, I have read the first chapter of the Lord of the Rings, and it was like reading Deuteronomy, like just big ad, big ad, big ad, big ad, big ad. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. I can't. So everything I know about Lord of the Rings, and there's like a substantial amount of my brain knowledge somehow. My windpipes hold a lot, but there's, uh, it's it's from role playing games. So I wanted to like diversify my knowledge of books and inspiration and all that stuff. So I came up with Appendix Lit. I was going to call it It's Lit. And I had a whole acronym and I was so proud of it. And then I found out that somebody had been doing a podcast on that and stopped in like 2016. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. Appendix lit it is. Fine. I'll just rip off two things instead. So yeah. Homage. 
Yeah, homage. That's right, homage. <laughs> As my Yoda, Brian would say, "You never steal. You just homage. You homage <laughs> the thing that you're stealing." Borrowing the ideas, anyways. So yeah, that's that's where all that came from. I, yeah. Each year, you compile these lists. Like we mentioned, you go through. Yeah, I, you put yourself through hell to I try and come dive. up. Yeah, yeah. So the first one took me three months to come up with it. The Holy second one shit. took me four months. And that's truly why I'm doing this with Tim because I kind of came to the same conclusion <laughs> myself. Just ride the coattails. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna do all the work yeah. of choosing great novels. I'm just sitting here smoking bubble gum while he's putting together these lists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm choosing novels. We have had some kind of duds, and it's not that they're just bad. It, that's the kind of key behind this, was we didn't want to ever say that this book sucks. Right. Right? We wanted to make sure that we were like, if we didn't like a book, and actually we have this kind of like unspoken rule that I've noticed, if we don't have something we like or a part we don't like, we have to discuss why and really dig down. What is it that we didn't like? And the, the Rage of Dragons, the second book from the first season, I was like, I fucking hated it. <laughs> Jordan, meanwhile, is like, I love this book. This is great. And it was like, mm -hmm. and so I had to really like, really dive into like, why didn't I like this? And it, it's actually the book that started the, I think one of the questions is like, what did the author try and convey? I had to justify why I didn't like this book. And not because I have to prove anything, but because if you're not going to like something, why don't you like it? Right? Like, if you don't like tomatoes, why don't you like tomatoes? In the spirit of Socrates, know thyself. Like, why? Why do I? Yeah, have... yeah. And it's and it's not. It's if you just simply didn't enjoy it, that's okay. But generally, if you don't enjoy something, I despise horror. I hate excessive gore. I I much. I would much rather watch a Disney movie that doesn't have any blood splatter. I hate Tarantino. I'll just yeah. say, it. <laughs> right? Like I just. I love the first half of every Tarantino movie. I hate the second half of every Tarantino movie. And it's, and it's like, it's because I can't, I, I don't need that. I'm a very visual person, right? So if I see that, it impacts me. Game of Thrones, same thing. Like, it's just too much. I have no time for that. So I thought that might have been it, but it wasn't. It was because it was making me angry. Literally days of searching. Like, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating this. Like, I had conversations with Jordan. We talked for, I think, two hours that night. I had conversations with my roommate. And then I finally, like, well, argue-sating with my roommate about why I didn't like this book. Because I was kind of like, I didn't like it. I had to finally kind of like, what did the author try and convey? And that's the last question we talk about. Because it's like, you have to, you have to think about everything else. And then we will search what the author was trying to say. Because we don't want that affecting what we actually think. So Very cool. I don't remember what you were originally asking me. I think I got way off on a tangent, <laughs> and I'm so sorry if I did. But it's like uh, it's part of the participation and everything in it, right? Like oh, totally. But can you just quickly describe the rating system and how yeah how you're working? They're a set of dice, so you've got a D4 all the way to a full set. So it's a it's a rating system. It's a, based on a, your D4, your D6, your D8, your two D10, your <laughs> nice. yeah yeah your D12 your d20 and then a full set and so we try and like rate them on how much we are able to draw from it mm. and it's an individual rating so jordan might give one a d4 and i might give it a d8 right and that's how much we are able to draw from it 
But that way we don't have to worry about saying it's good or bad because it has nothing to do whether it's good or bad. It has to do with what we as GMs or players are able to draw from the book. So D4, every set has a D4. And if you lose that D4, even if you're a fighter who's never touched a dagger in your life, you're not gonna use that set anymore. So that D4 is still really important, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're a wizard, you use that D4 a lot. Yeah. You you need 30 of them, actually. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a magic missile wizard, you're going to use them all the time, right? So it becomes a thing where it's like it's a better system to judge your usage of it. Or as a D6 is a comfy classic. Yeah. Used for Yahtzee, even. Everybody, <laughs> Grandma knows what a D6 every, is. <laughs> Harry Potter is a D6 because everybody has read it. Interesting. Okay, so there's like there's layers to this rating system. It's like an onion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, to cap this off, what are some of the book highlights from the past two years? Like, what have you rated highly in your travels through these novels? Um, So I thought Hench was really good. Hench is done by Natalie Zeno Walshots, and it's uh, it's God, it's such a cool concept. It's like an idea behind like. A, a villain henchman agency so you get a, this the main character gets a job in a villain henchman agency in modern times so modern like she's times. struggling with the gig economy <laughs> and, <laughs> and having to put on a mask to make no money. no that's just it like you can you can opt out of those gigs well i didn't want a mask gig i just decided to just be a henchman right so who's <laughs> dr evil's henchman well they came from somewhere who's hiring these people and that's where this kind of fits in right like it's it's really quite good, yeah. And I'm sure that was just rife with ideas, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. so yes and no. I would say that's, a, what did we give that one? A D8, I think. Because it had a lot of ideas, but it's very niche and unique, right? So okay. it fits into a very specific set. And a lot of people probably won't read this book or might pull from it, right? So, but when you do, it's yeah. gold. And okay. if you were playing a superhero game, yes, absolutely. It explored powers in ways that, you know, superhero stories yeah. and movies usually don't oh i can't even talk about one of the <laughs> extreme moments right when Woof. he starts to like inside don't touch the book I was, oh! <laughs> okay, okay okay we also liked stealing thunder was one of my favorites how would you describe that so elena boyden yeah. wrote it and and the reason i picked stealing thunder was because it's the first fantasy novel to be written by a trans woman Featuring a character whose lead is a trans woman Mm. in a fantasy novel setting. And it's a mass publication. It's not just like a indie press. And I don't say that in a mocking way. I say that in a timid way because it's kind of like we treat indie presses like they're kind of like a one shot. And they never really reach. They might reach just Vancouver, right? They don't reach world fame, right? Anyways, so that's what Stealing Thunder was. And uh, the reason I really liked it is because it is one of those examples of getting a different perspective because... And and it's an example of how to build your world with a theme because the whole world was built out from this protagonist who was trans and all of these different cultures in the world represent different ways that we could think about being trans. And it's all it's all baked into the culture and it's a culture that's existed and it makes sense. And and it really opened my eyes a lot to like what is possible and what my drawbacks are in that sense and then it was also just so good for the way it um so good 
The protagonist's journey in that book was one of the best examples of just being so invested in what happens to them next. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I really, really love the like the alt characters in that book. Like they all kind of fed into the way that the protagonist was portrayed not only to you as the reader, but to themselves and then to the world around, right? Like everything kind of fed into it. And it was like, this is where we had to kind of like get a little deep with this because we didn't want to like, are we meant to understand a different sort of trans perspective from this book? Or are we doing that because we know going in what it is, right? Mm. So this whole like meta kind of came into wow. it. But the story itself is such a wicked fantasy book. You read the second one already, right? Yes. Yeah, see, and I still have it sitting on my shelf because I know where the story has to go to create the conflict. And I almost don't want to open it to ruin the first book. Like I'm full on. I'm so content with that first book that I'm looking. It still sits there. And yeah. I'm like, this is the reason, though, to analyze these books, because imagine if you can capture that kind of apprehension yeah. that yes. you have for your next game right? of players going, I I know what's what the DM has to do, yeah. and I am terrified. I don't want to do it. Yeah, and like, exactly. I've, I feel all of these things. That's so cool. Like to to give a brief snippet, one scene that stuck with me was she's trapped in a basically a room in a tower. Oh my god! And she's trying to get out. She has to get out. Has oh. And she's got rock climbing as kind of a background and a skill, and. The, there's water all around this place she's trying to escape from and there's people that are coming in to check on her so she has to like time this right and she's climbing down the wall of this building while there's boats going by that are like patrols and you're just you're sweating because she's trying to stay still while they're looking and she has to drop in and she knows that there's some creatures in that water but she doesn't she's... know what or where it's and you're just so... like and she's hanging onto the side of a boat while they're, they're talking to the guard boat and you're just like I will never look at an athletics check the same way again, <laughs> essentially is what it comes down to, right? Wow. It's like, yeah. How cool it to change the way those of, stakes. Yeah. And like, yeah. And she's getting bloodied so, as she goes, like by the end, her hands are like raw and she has to hide that now. So and... that scene, that scene, I can actually give you a perfect example of how to translate this into that book. That encounter is in my Adventures League Ravenloft game. Okay. You have to climb over a waterfall, and how are you going to climb down this cliff? Yeah. That's because of this scene. How cool. Like, it's so neat to see this book club's results in action having that effect on your games. My favorite was Winter's Orbit. It's a, an amazing sci-fi that isn't what you think it is when you're going in. The genre tricks you, and it caught me right off guard, and I absolutely loved it. It's got one of the coolest descriptions of a bear that you will ever experience as a like a GM. Like it's just like blows my mind every time. It's two queer characters who fall in love, and it was really really healthy for me to read two queer characters falling in love without having to worry about them being queer. I needed that very much, so <laughs> it was very good to see. So that's one of the reasons why Winter's Orbit became one of my favorite. Yeah, the difference between those two books we just talked about were. Uh, being trans in the first book was a part of the plot being queer in this book was just a part of it yeah it, it wasn't was. a danger yeah. to them because they were queer which is yeah quite refreshing everything yeah. else was the problem yeah and, right. and it was really it's it was really good it'll throw you right for a loop i and, loved it and again that world building the culture was like 
yeah, we have queer people. That that's it. Yeah. The other good example from that one is world building, especially is the world is so vast that it was hard to get your head around, um, and and it kind of focuses you into specific things with narration, right? So the book yeah. exposes certain things as you need to know it, um, which is totally different from both of our favorite books in both seasons which was a long way to a small angry planet. Now we've mentioned this a couple times uh, already before. You guys haven't shut up about this book. And I nor swear to will God, we. you need to read this book. Like I don't care if you try not to read. You need to read this <laughs> book, okay? Like it's I'll read it to you. It's well you Would read you it please? To, you read it to rumor. Yeah. Like you liked yeah. it so much that you didn't even listen to the it. audiobook. You actually reread it. I've given out two copies and keep buying it. It will That's change That's how much I like how it. you think about characters. Wow. I'll and, say that's a bold point. And world building. Like you learn world building, you learn the universe that they exist in through the character yeah. point of view. As they're having dialogue in the book, you're like, like oh, it's no so exposition good. dumps. It's all through their perspectives and almost leads you on this character by character journey in such an enjoyable way as the main character is experiencing the world through everyone else's perspective one at a time and it's like it's like 10 books in one and every character is delightful yeah becky chambers wrote it and they are i'd say they're probably one of my favorite authors just because of this book like it blew my mind like <laughs> if you listen to this becky chambers you're incredible <laughs> like, <laughs> don't think she's in the Discord. i mean you never know right like that'd be pretty yeah. incredible <laughs> i'd fanboy it <laughs> like yeah because oh. our, our favorite Dr. Chef. Dr. Chef! Dr. Chef is so good. How can you have a character that's a chef and a doctor and do it all together? Well, I don't at the think. Same time? Uh, I'm going to just incredible. let these two and do their thing. Um, <laughs> so, oh, during Tim's visit, <laughs> we have created uh, a new tool. It's called the Homogenator, and we'll make it available on our website in the near future. Um, but until then, definitely check out Appendix Lit. Uh, you can find that at thegmtim.ca. So help yourself specifically break down plot, cast members, locations, encounters. That's what the Homogenator is going to do. And of course, you're going to get all of your ideas from joining Appendix Lit. Thank you very much to our patrons of the show. We appreciate you so, so much. Uh, and especially thanks to our newest patron, Ninja Ducky, who is the grand prize winner of the We're in Arcadia contest that just concluded. We'll have a link to the incredible stories that some of the entrants for the grand prize wrote and submitted. They're so fucking good you guys uh it was just it was just awesome to see but also thank you very much to sue art blackthorn first law peacock dreams dm thunderbum marley r gar the pirate time warp dangerous marmalade zach g no ma'am michelle t aldirius chris f the senate lucas d lila g the gm tim nevermore thomas w dm natsuki Heavy Arms, Aldrost, Leprechaun, and Will HP. Thank you all so, so much for the support. 
for this and every other episode. Thanks also to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join our awesome community of players and DMs by joining our Discord, but you can also find Appendix Lit on Tim's Discord at thegmtim.ca. Thank you very much for listening and whatever stupid bullshit that Jordan normally says.